Hello, everybody. Jace here. Quick message before we get to the main episode. Uh, you know, I try not to get too political on the show. Maybe if that's something that really interests the guest, we might get into a little bit of politics, but mostly we're here to just celebrate comics. But uh, I can't ignore what's going on in the world, specifically the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So uh, on our Twitter, pinned as the tweet, is a link to UNICEF which is an organization that focuses on uh, areas of the world where there is a lot of strife, war going on. Specifically, they try to provide clean water, medical care, and other uh, essential needs specifically for children and families. So regardless of which side of the fence you're on, whether or not you believe that one side or the other is right or wrong, uh, we can all agree that children and their families shouldn't be suffering for the choices that their leaders are making. So please, if you have a few dollars, uh, every little bit helps. You can go to unicef.org, that's U-N-I-C-E-F dot O-R-G, and just look for the Ukraine appeal. Click there, or you can go to the Comic Source Twitter account, and the link is there for you to donate. So uh, again, appreciate the support, everybody, and I uh, hope you're all being safe out there. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. This is your DC Spotlight for the week of March 15th, 2022. Uh, if you're looking for thoughts on the third chapter of War for Earth 3 or the third chapter of Trial of the Amazons, we did separate spotlights for those. So go and check those out. That being said, we still have 10 other books to talk about. Uh, so we're going to dive right in, starting with Blue and Gold, number seven. Story by Dan Jurgens, Phil Hester, and Eric Gapster do the art for pages 4 through 19. Paul Pelletier and Norm Ratman do the pages uh, art for pages 1 through 3 and 20 through 22. Chris Sotomayor on colors, Rob Lee on letters. Um, this is issue 7 of 8 in terms of the art. Yeah, I mean, I'll say what I always say when we get two wildly different art styles here, that it's, it's frustrating that we didn't get one art team – to do the whole thing. I don't mind Hester and Gapster's art. Um, I don't enjoy it as much as the Paul Pelletier art because that's just more the type of art that I personally uh, prefer. But either way, I would have been fine going either way. But having both styles is kind of, you know, they don't compare favor favorably to one another. Uh, the other thing that's interesting about this book. So we got kind of the resolution of the story that had been told in the first six issues. And so it's an eight issues mini. So now we get like, so we had a six issue story. Now we're getting a two issue story. Yeah. It makes me wonder if this was originally supposed to be an ongoing and Jurgen scripted it that way with like, cause that's what it would have been, right? Like you, you yeah. figure when they release this as a trade, it's going to be just an oversized trade with all eight issues. So but if it was supposed to be an ongoing, then Jurgens might have been like, okay, here's a six-issue arc that goes in a trade. Let me start the next six-issue arc. And But no, we're getting a two-part Booster Gold uh, or Blue Beetle story rather because we have the Jaime Reyes version of Blue Beetle who showed up at the end of last issue. And we finally find out who is 
uh, kind of behind pulling the strings with um, this other villain who who shows up, who's a who's a new villain uh, who shows up in the issue, and it turns out it's this guy called Black Beetle, uh, and it's this guy called Black Beetle who's sent this. Um, I, I don't even know what what to call him. Null effects. He he kind of looks like a a dog. <laughs> <laughs> for lack of a better term, dog with some horns. Um, and he kind of sets him out and, and uh, uses him as bait to get Booster and Blue Beetle out there fighting because he apparently in some way has influenced the Jaime Reyes version of Blue Beetle. Um, and that doesn't pay off in this issue. I imagine it'll pay off in the next. So yeah, it's a little, it jumps around a little bit. Um, and the fact that it's going to have to be wrapped up in only two issues, I think is why it feels um, a little quickly paced, I'll say. Uh, it's not bad by any reason, and, and uh, it doesn't feel choppy. And I think Dan Jurgens is an excellent writer. And when he's got to accelerate a storyline, he's able to do it and have it still make sense. But the fingerprints of that are still going to be there. And the fingerprints of that are here. But it does work because he still gives us the fun kind of uh, banter back and forth between Booster and Blue Beetle. And we still get the funny little one-liners from the social media guys and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I, I do sort of wish that this wasn't ending next issue and, like, we would have got a full 12 issues. Like, could, could we have gotten this arc, you know, fleshed out a little more? Or if maybe if Dan had known early enough, he could have given us four issues of the first story arc that we got with that alien race that was saying that um, Earth belonged to them because they came and planted a flag before – humanity even existed on earth and then gotten four issues of this because this black beetle character is, is interesting to me and he's got a cool looking costume. So we've got Jaime Reyes and Ted Cord, both blue beetles, uh, you know, legacy character. And we're going to have to wrap this up in one issue. I, I you know, again, I, I know not that many people care about blue beetle, but I think he's an underrated character. Uh, I remember picking up his issue number one, when it came out in 86 with that, uh, I think it was written by Len Wein. I just remember as Paris Cullen on art and, and I loved it from the beginning. I'm not as big of a fan of the um, Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle only because I like my Blue Beetle with uh, gadgets instead of powers. Um, but either way, um, I, I am enjoying this and I, yeah, I do wish we, we had a little more of the, of this second story, but I, I expect Jurgens to wrap it up really, really well. Uh, and hopefully the reason that Pelletier and Norm Ratman only did a couple of pages of art in this one is because they, have them uh, given us a, a an awesome uh, finale, maybe even oversized for issue number eight, where they do all of the art. So, uh, and then Ryan's soot cover is fantastic as well, with Blue Beetle in the background going, "Booster, what are you doing? Like you, you're betraying me, going for the new, the new blue." Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it was a fun issue. Um, but yeah, I just I wonder about the kind of the logistics. It's so so strange to focus. Because so, it really felt like last, the, like the sixth issue could have been the last issue. You yeah. just take out that Jaime Reyes appearance, and you just, it's just over. So now having Jaime Reyes show up, but maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe issue eight will circle back around to and tie in with that first arc with the that um, maybe Rip Hunter will show up. Maybe that alien race will show back up, going, "Hey, we know that you tried to trick us. Um, who, who knows? Or yeah. maybe we'll just get all all of Black Beetle. I guess we'll see." 
What are your I, thoughts, Rocky? Yeah, I kind of wanted Rip Hunter back again. I kind of like that uh, the fact that he's Booster Gold's son. That hint, and I, I thought they were gonna be, we were gonna get some more of those hints of that. But I didn't mind this issue. Uh, I'm I kind of I thought it was funny. Jamie Rainus, he's J- J- Jamie Rainus, Rainus, Anus. <laughs> Reyes, yeah. Reyes. Uh, Reyes yeah. Not he didn't seem all that excited uh, when he was asked to join blue the blue and gold team. I don't know when he said when he said wow. I don't know if he meant wow in a good way or wow more like wow <laughs> wow. I don't know if he was that excited when he was asked to join the team, but uh, yeah, it was okay. I mean, and a black beetle. Of course, you got to have a black beetle. Kind of a little bit cliche, but uh, this is kind of a comedic take on things and. Uh, even Nulaflex was another character at the beginning. Nulaflex, quite a, you know, odd, you know, again, like give Jurgens credit. He, he, you can tell he's having a lot of fun scripting this stuff. And, uh, I find that, uh, I find it's interesting comparing Dan Jurgens to Mark Russell. I think Mark, uh, Mark Russell sometimes always has to throw in some political parody, whereas Dan Jurgens is better at keeping things more comedic without necessarily having to go the political route, uh, which is both are good. I mean, both are entertaining in their own in their own right. I'm not criticizing one or the other. I just started. I just sort of kind of interesting. I, 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 I have a preference. I like Dan Jurgens a little bit more, less generalized sort of parody and humor. And plus, he he seems that Jurgens has a handle on these characters uh, so well. For some reason, I think I, I compare this a little bit to One Star Squadron. And even though I, I really like the characters in One Star Squadron, I, I like the writing on this and the humor in Blue and Gold uh, uh, better. But uh, no, I, I I think it's good. And it's it's interesting. Only one issue left. It does kind of feel, I agree with you, that he's Jurgens is trying to cram a lot into like eight issues. But he's planting some seeds, I think, that I personally would like to see this issue. I would like to see 24 issues of, of this series. And I want to see more. And um, I, I know I, I already want to see more than one issue. And we only got one issue left. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, all these writers on these miniseries, you got to think that they're probably hoping to get, you know, hoping to get some attention of editorial. Because I know uh, DC Sales maybe you know, are a little hit and miss right now. So uh, probably everyone's vying for a little bit of attention. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, plans change and maybe it was initially going to be 12 issues and, you know, they had to scale it back to eight or maybe it's supposed to be an ongoing, who, who knows? Can't, can't really say. Uh, okay. Up next, we have Catwoman number 41. This is from writer Tinny Howard, Nico Leone on art, Veronica Gandini on colors, Tom Napolitano on letters. Uh, yeah. Curious what you thought of this one, Rock. Oh man, bad timing caught me just when I was drinking some Coke. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> no, that's my fault. I should know better. Uh, I What a pleasant surprise to see Onyx here. I haven't seen her in a long time. Uh, kudos, I should give a shout out to one of the variant covers here. I think it's a Jenny Frizen cover where she seems to do her own rendition of uh, Zoe Kravitz Catwoman. Uh, quite a really nice, nice cover with the Batman, the Batman movie. Which, by the way, I did a Batman, the Batman movie review, and I, I, I you know, even though I kind of gave it a little bit of, I had fun with it, I had more of a rant. I actually enjoyed the Batman movie, even though if you, if you listen to my review on my channel, I, 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 I very much sort of speak against it, only because I, <laughs> I just do. Sometimes I, I rant it against it, but I, I encourage people to go and see it, because it's a DC movie, and DC needs some love, it needs some love. 
in any event, uh, I, uh, the Teeny Howard, I almost forgot her name, Teeny Howard here. I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this tale of the mafia here. I think she's weaved together. She's brought together some very interesting characters, and the idea of uh, you know like the the son of a mafioso who's gay, and that the, the another person in the mafia who's like the right hand man. You know, he's having an affair with him. I mean, you got two lovers. You can't be gay in the mafia. Father doesn't even know his son is gay. Catwoman knows he's gay. The son hates his father, Does but wants to rule the mob, but kind of doesn't. Meanwhile, you got the other guy whose loyalties are, he's, he loves, he loves the son of the mafia also, but he also, he's in, he wants to become the godfather. So you got all these sort of, all these machinations that are going on at the same time and all these, all these motives and you're questioning every, all the characters motives. And then you got uh, this new character Flamingo with the pink motorbike showing up and Onyx. Uh, I think Teeny Howard has done a good job. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving uh, plots in this. And for me, I think it works. I've, uh, I've noticed because I, I, I read other people's reviews and I watch other reviews. This isn't, um, I think, dare I say, I think uh, some reviewers, I think, have been, I think, pretty harsh on this title. I Some have criticized it for being a little heavy on the exposition, maybe a little heavy on the writing. I actually don't mind it. I, I think it sort of pulls me into the story. And I actually appreciate, I appreciate some of the, uh, uh, I, I like being spoon-fed a little bit, especially since we're, these are all new characters. It's not like, uh, this isn't, in three short issues, we're getting access to a lot of a lot of information, and I feel uh, I'm enjoying this. I this this feels uh, I, this feels like a moth uh, a mafia a mafia tale. And you got and if you're a fan of uh, uh, Genevieve uh, Genevieve Valentine's run, uh, where Eco uh, Eco Amanawa, I think her name was the for, uh, when when Catwoman was. You know, all that hype about her being bisexual. That was her lover at the time. Uh, great, great covers by Jay Lee, that entire run. It's just a beautifully gorgeous run of gorgeous covers by Jay Lee and a really good storyline as well. It harkens back to that. And uh, I'm really curious to see how this is going to end. Is this, is the son of the Godfather here? Is he going to end up being killed? Uh, he wants, he wants uh, Selena's protection. Selena wants to protect him. He clearly needs protection because he's kind of, a, kind of a softy, and he's not really meant for the mafia life. And yet, at the same time, he almost, he's, he's clearly got some daddy issues. <laughs> and then Selena, one thing that doesn't quite fit for me though, Selena has this, seems to have this attraction, arguably to this, to this new character. Who's I can't remember his name. He's got in that white suit. Valmont. Yeah, what's his name? Valmont. Valmont. Yeah, and he's I think he's gender neutral or he's he's gender uh uh what do you call it uh non-binary maybe. Uh because she wasn't sure if he was male or female and there's almost kind of a hint that she's kind of attracted Onyx sort of picked up an maybe an attraction between Selena and this and this uh Valmont. So that's kind of weird. I don't know if that was. I never really bought into that. So that's that was a little bit of a miss for me, because I, I don't know how you could go, be be a, love Bruce Wayne and be in love with Batman and then all of a sudden, I don't know. Like you know, to each their own. You can love your own. I'm I I just I just I'm not really buying into that aspect of the story. But the rest I'm really enjoying. So what do you think? 
Yeah, I'm enjoying it, but I do, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm nitpicking, but I, I can see why people might have a, a problem with it because I think structurally there are some weaknesses. Um, and, I, and you know, based on the fact that it's pretty early on, it, it, I, I would be hesitant to say there are, you know, plot issues as well because I don't really know exactly what Tinney Howard is trying to do yet. If she's trying to tell a, a mob story, she's doing a, a good job of that. And I think if, if people are like, well, it's too exposition heavy, here, here's the thing, right? Tinny Howard has put a lot of players on the playing field. There's a lot of moving parts here. We got Valmont. We got the five families. We have Onyx in this particular issue. So there's a lot of, a lot of characters. If you don't give us exposition, if you don't put us inside of Selena's head, it's not going to feel like a Catwoman book. Because Catwoman, I think if you counted the panels, I don't know that she shows up in the most panels in this issue. You know what I mean? Like, so is this really a Catwoman book if she's not on the page more than anybody else? So I kind of feel like she has to be, you know, we need to get inside her head. We need to be um, hearing from her. Otherwise... You know, that it might not feel enough like a, a Catwoman book. So, you know, you can argue whether that's a, a failure of, of the, you know, the way she laid out the story or not. Because I, I think Dario, the, the son of the Dawn, probably shows up on more panels than, than anybody else. So, but I, again, I can see where people are coming from if they say that. The other, uh, so that's, you know, could possibly be a structural issue or it may just be for this first story until she gets things established. And then it may focus more on on Catwoman going forward. Um, where I, so I, I don't necessarily see that as a weakness or something bad about it. It's just kind of the reality of the way the story is structured for now. Um, where I do think there is a weakness is in the transitions um, from like one not not from one panel to the next, but one from one scene to the next. So if we're going from you know Valmont and Onyx fighting as Selena looks on at the docks to then Onyx and Selena, you know, walking down the street, drinking coffee and talking, or from that scene of Onyx and Catwoman to Dario trying to blow up a building. It's those transitions, I think, that aren't being done as well as they could because the the story feels choppy to me at times. And it's not even something I can necessarily put my finger on all the time uh, where it just, it, the story isn't flowing as well as it probably should. So I, I love the things that are happening, but I, I, I'm not sure where the rough edges need to be smoothed out uh, exactly. But the art by Nico Leone is, is fantastic. The color work um, is, I mean, I, I can't say enough about how fantastic the, the color work is from Victoria, Veronica Gandini. Uh, just really bright, like neon colors that uh, that are really working. So I'm enjoying this. Um, I think it does have room for improvement. And uh, all I'll say about Valmont, I'm very intrigued by Valmont. He does r- remind me a lot, and maybe it's his look, you know, he's all white and he doesn't have eyes. So he reminds me a lot of Ghostmaker in that way. Yeah. Um, so I, I find him to be an intriguing character. And yeah, we'll, we'll see where this is going. Uh, I'm enjoying it. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Batman the Knight number three. This is written by Chip Zdarsky, 
Art is by Carmine Di Jean Domenico, colors by Yvonne Placencia, letters by Pat Brosso. Um, this is part three of 10. And, and remember, this is the story where Bruce is out. He's in Europe. He's training to become Batman. So he's very young. He's very inexperienced. And uh, he was teamed up with this, uh, this French thief. And they went to steal this jewelry box. Come to find out the jewelry box is filled with teeth for a serial killer called the foundling and uh they they didn't know what they were stealing and now the serial killers after them but before they can even sort of figure out exactly what's going on before bruce and this woman can figure out what's going on um our old pal Henri ducar shows up he's been hired by alfred to find bruce wayne but not to retrieve him just to find him just to make sure he is where he is so um through Henri's uh, help and because he knows this female thief and um, they end up getting the drop on this, uh, the serial killer. Bruce is the one that ends up finding him and confronting him. And we see that anger over his, his loss and his trauma is still very much there. He almost beats the guy to death uh, when he, when he finally finds him uh, and this woman has to, to stop him. Lucy is her name. Um, she has to literally pull Bruce off this, this uh, serial killer before he, before Bruce, you know, punches him to death. So uh, again, really interesting, great look at what, um, what Bruce went through or is going through or did go through, however you want to phrase it to become Batman. I didn't expect the story to be like this. When I heard it was 10 issues, I thought it was going to be like more just action with Bruce going from place to place to place. Hey, he's, you know, each issue he's being trained by, a different person or maybe two people. Um, and it was going to be a little more um, of a kind of a higher level view. Uh, this is very focused and very emotional. Um, so I don't think we're going to get as, as much of the training, which when I heard this was happening, the series, I was like, Oh great. We'll finally get a definitive story. Cause I very much trust Chip Zdarsky to do that. Give us a definitive story of, you know, Bruce was here, trained by this person, and then here, trained by this person. That is not the point of this series. The point of this series, is, I, it seems like after the first three issues, is more of an emotional journey for Bruce and how he prepared to become Batman in that way. Because it's so clear in these first three issues that, in a way, he's very lost, um, even though he has an idea of what he wants to become eventually, you know, wh- how he wants to um, – channel his trauma to protect people and to make sure nobody ever has to, you know, lose their parents the way he did. That's his, in his mind, his own self-motivation for doing this, but he doesn't know how to get there emotionally. You know, he doesn't know if he's ever going to be able to get there and he's realizing sort of his shortcomings. And when he reaches out to Alfred and calls and leaves a message, because again, Alfred hired Henri Ducard to go hunt him down. um, You know, he says as much on the phone when he, he leaves the message for, for Alfred, you know, he, he's like, I, I, I need to do this, but I shouldn't have left without telling you, I need to figure things out on my own. I can't just have you taking care of me forever. I need to be able to take care of myself. Um, and I just, I don't know. I don't know the path that I'm on. Um, but I got to figure things out. So yeah, that's a far cry from the Bruce that left Gotham angry, believing that he had all the answers and all he had to do was go acquire physical skills and then he could, you know, start his war on crime. So, yeah, this is much more of an emotional journey rather than, you know, a physical, hey, how did 
Bruce acquire the skills that he needed. So once again, you know, leave it to Chip Zdarsky to give us a very uh, emotional tale with a, a lot of uh, poignant moments and, and really impactful uh, emotional journey for, for, uh, for a character. So what do you think? Uh, I, I really enjoyed this. And you know what? I It reminded me a lot of, uh, of the – there was a lot of consistency in the character portrayal between this Henri Ducard in this issue and the way Tom Taylor scripted uh, Henri Ducard in his uh, series uh, Batman The Dark Knight by Tom Taylor. Uh, Henri Ducard here, I mean, he's – I mean, there's a reason why Bruce Wayne wanted to get trained by Henri Ducard. I mean, in, in fact, in almost every incarnation, in every iteration of Bruce Wayne being trained at some point in his life, the name Henri Ducard always, always comes up. And Henri Ducard here is brilliant. He's a genius. I mean, he's he's a very – he's a very, very intelligent detective. And it – and Chip Sardaski does an excellent job of just Henry Ducard, you know, being able to find Bruce Wayne right away, being able to identify – right away know that the foundling was a serial killer. Right away, he was 10 steps ahead of everybody. And it – it's very obvious here. I mean, uh, uh, when the, – the juxtaposition between Henry Ducard, who is almost – almost Batman level in his – in his stealth and his intelligence and in his strategic thinking and the complete incompetence, almost complete incompetence of a young Bruce Wayne. I mean, Bruce Wayne, I mean, it's, it's almost, it almost annoyed me how, how Bruce Wayne, when there, there's a scene where he's in a cafeteria and Andre Ducard keeps telling him, quit, don't look over at the fount, like, don't look over at the guy that, <laughs> that, that, that there, his female partner is, is talking to. I mean, don't make yourself obvious. Just, but he kept looking over. He kept looking over it, and eventually they were they were compromised because of Bruce Wayne's abject incompetence of just not being able to keep a low profile in something as simple as a restaurant. And of course, Henri Ducard ends up getting shot because of it, taken off the playing field. And near the end, I thought it was very interesting how uh, how Chip Sardowski sort of the idea that 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 the true target of of the foundling was the one orphan who was happy and it's that's interesting because Bruce Wayne is was is an orphan but Bruce Wayne is dark and repressed and unhappy and of course going to become Batman and he's mentally screwed up and all, there's all kinds of orf, you know orphans out there not all of them are mentally uh, you know, mentally healthy, I suppose. But the one who is ends up being one of the victims. And I thought there's so many themes here that are played with, and I thought it, I thought it worked quite well. And like you said, this is this is definitely a Bruce Wayne that's learning. He's frankly incompetent, maybe even annoyingly so to some respects. But he's supposed to be because he's supposed to, he's not Batman yet, and so uh, that's what you ought to expect. And he he knows it and. Of course, the good relation, the, the his relationship with with Alfred at the end, and Al, there's a great scene at the end there with Alfred on the phone. He's clearly worried about him, and of course, the the woman, the the older woman, the older uh, quasi sort of uh, allusion to to Catwoman in Paris there, kissing him goodbye, knowing that you know she's, you know he's she's. He's meant for different things. It, it was very well done. I, it, well done by Trips or Dask. I'm really looking forward to, to seeing where he takes this. I'm glad this is 10 issues. I wish it was 12. <laughs> yeah, I wish it was an on, ongoing. Because again, I, you know, when I heard he was doing this, I'm like, okay, okay. And I, I want to see all the people that he trained with. Uh, but this is something different. But it's, it, you know, um, it has value in a different way. So, uh, okay. Up next, we have Detective Comics number 1057. We're at the penultimate issue next to last issue of the tower this is part 11 
Mariko Tamaki is the writer. Amin K. Nahulapan is the artist. Jordi Belair does colors. Ariana Mare on letters. Uh, and then we have the, the backup story that's written by uh, Matthew Rosenberg that has art from uh, Fernando Blanco. Jordi Belair does the colors on this as well. Rob Lee on letters. So, um, yeah, the only thing that I, I kind of – I don't want to say that it bugs me. But, you know, I talked a little bit about it last issue where, you know, Batman has shown back up. So he's fully engaged now in this fight. Um, and Rocky and I both said how we didn't miss him when he hasn't been in the pages of Detective Comics. And I thought the rest of the Bat family was doing just fine without him. Uh, and he comes in and sort of, you know, as the, the big brother or, or father figure to kind of save the day, if you will. And, you know, he doesn't completely take over, but he's very present. And I almost, I don't know, I feel like, much like I didn't really need the Scarecrow, I don't really need Batman here, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. just give me the rest of what we were, just keep fleshing out what we were already getting would have been fine with me. But it's not by, bad by any uh, stretch of the imagination. The art I've talked about, you know, start, you start off with Yvonne Reese, everything's going to feel like a step down. But Nahulapan's art is very uh, cinematic, and he does a great job with the action. And his transitions from panel to panel uh, are, are very, very well done. That's a bit of a muted palette when it comes to the colors, but again, it, it suits his uh, his art style. So yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying this. It feels like this is going to wrap up in a very satisfying way. Um, but yeah, I just wonder if it wouldn't, if I wouldn't, at the end of the day, if I wouldn't have enjoyed it more had it just ended up being a, a Bat family story without Batman himself. So yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's. I thought it was a solid, solid issue, and I'll talk about the backup in a second. But what do you think of the main here, Rock? I, I actually, I, I enjoyed this. It was like I say, it's winding down. It was, you know, it's sort of like we kind of already know this is gonna where this is gonna lead. And I was, uh, but there was one thing here that actually makes makes me intrigued about this issue, uh, and I got some open questions, and be and it's because Mayor Nagano's wife. Ends up wearing Medusa the 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 Medusa mask, or and uh, or Psycho Pirates mask, I guess whatever you want to call it, and that's interesting. Now she now she's she's uh, there's a time jump because she's talking. Marina Gowner's wife's talking to a therapist, reflecting back on her uh, reflecting back on her situation, and uh, la- last issue ended where Anna Volshin ends up shooting, we thought maybe either, we thought maybe Mary Nagano's wife was, was going to be shot and killed by Anna Volshin, or maybe Psycho Pirate would be killed. It was unclear, but it ends up that uh, Psycho Pirate was just shot in the arm, so it was, was definitely not a big deal. But it's interesting that Mary Nagano's wife ends up wearing the mask. We don't know what she does with that mask, but it's uh, presumably... I'm I'm guessing that she probably won the day, or maybe did she use the the mask for good or for bad? Uh, because we know she was when she's actually in the in the in the you know on on day sixty seven because we know day twenty four is when the shit hit the fan. Day sixty seven, Marigana's wife's in therapy. Is she in therapy as a patient at Arkham Tower, or is or is she just you know is a. Uh, it makes me wonder what did she do? How does you know? How does Marinagano's wife use uh, uh, Psycho Pirate's mask? And is this a new character? 
does she is this a new cycle pirate because we're getting a whole slew let's face it dc's you know diversifying their you know their their character plate and it's you know none of these characters are the character anymore it's all about legacy every character roger hayden isn't psycho pirate psycho pirate is a legacy so anybody can be psycho pirate you just wear the mask anybody can be batman anybody can be wonder woman anybody can be superman I'm being a little bit cynical, yes, and a little bit tongue-in-cheek there, but, you know, it's, uh, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. It's just interesting to see if, you know, I, I think I think if, we, if we're going to get a new Psycho Pirate, I think that there's some potential there if we go outside Roger Hayden, because there's, uh, she does look pretty cool. I got to admit, she looks pretty cool in the mask, Maragona's wife. So I'm really interested to see if this is just going to be a temporary thing moving forward or not. Because, you know, Roger Hayden, a psycho pirate, I mean, bear in mind, I mean, this is a guy that worked alongside Darkseid at one point. So it'd be kind of weird to see somebody else wear the mask, but that's what's happened. But but I'm intrigued, but I'm more interested, and I'm sure you are too. Uh, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on the backup, which is the favorite part of the comic for, I think, both of us, Jace. Uh, the Matthew Rosenberg tale of this mysterious redhead that we still don't know who he is. Yeah, one last thing on that main story you, you mentioned, and I did notice that it was a big time jump, like you said, day 67. But the thing I didn't like about the time jump was it's still called Arkham Tower. Six, day 67, it says Arkham Tower. Should it say yeah. Pennyworth Tower right there? Didn't like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, the backup, I'm I'm interested, I'm intrigued, but the redhead doesn't show up. I don't know what the hell's going on. Uh, we only have one issue of this left. It even says at the end, after the credits, to be concluded. So, you know, what is going on? Who's pulling the strings? Is it the Joker that shows up here? Like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I have no clue what Rosenberg and Blanco are doing, but I'm here for it. The action and the art are fantastic. I can't wait. I, I'm much more interested in going back and rereading all 12 parts of this in one sitting than I am the the tower or, or the the shadow of the bat story about Arkham Tower. Yeah. Uh, now would that be a different uh, you know outcome if Batman didn't show up and it's still focused on the kind of the bat family? I think maybe it would. Um because yeah it just bugs me that that Batman is here to save the saves the day. We've had that story so many times, you know, as Batman Batman is the savior. Um uh, but this, yeah, this the the mystery and the way that uh, Rosenberg and Blanco have built the story makes me very curious to go back and read from the beginning with the knowledge of how it all ends. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a fantastic read to to read it all in one uh, kind of as one narrative. So, yeah, what well, are your thoughts? Uh, well, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but the impression I got from the story is that it's this Reddit. Even though he doesn't, you're right, he doesn't appear in the story, but flowing from the last story. He's uh, this this involved the the Batman suspects it it's the Joker that was responsible for shutting off the water flowing through Gotham in the underground uh, water tunnels. But in fact, it was shut off in order to facilitate the movement of people. And I think it's that redhead who's got his own community. He shut the waters down so he could move people from around Gotham, but underground because he's got a motive. He's got something going on. Uh, so he's got his own thing. He's got his own uh, powers powers in play. And, of course, Killer Croc works with that redhead. And he's got his own little community of, of, of supporters of his group. And remember last, last issue in the backup, 
Batman, Batman let the kid go because the kid during No Man's Land was just looking for food and he was an older kid with a beard and and so he wasn't really a bad guy, but he was just kind of a, he was an anti-hero, but probably closer to hero than bad. And so Batman sort of let him go because he knew he had a rough life. And and now now this kid is shutting the water down, sh- water off, but he seems to have a noble purpose of like moving people around. So but but exactly why we don't know yet uh, we got one more chapter to go and uh, i th- i think only one more yeah one more chapter because there's there's this is chapter 11 so we, there's 12 chapters of this so it's going to be interesting to see what happens and uh yeah and and again who the hell is this kid it's good. this is man Rafi Rosenberg's what a what a great job of of building suspense because i'm it, i mean we got an Arkham Tower story, which I think is fairly, you know, it's decent. I, you know, it's I, I'm more entertained by the Arkham Tower story than I was Fear State in terms of the momentum of it, anyway. And for this, for this backup feature to sort of, sort of pull me out of the main story and into this small backup is is quite an accomplishment. So kudos to him, and and the art is just fantastic. Yeah, agreed, hundred percent. Uh, okay, up next we have Justice League number 74. This is uh, League of Chaos Part 3 finishes off Brian Michael Bendis' run. And then uh, issue 75, Joshua Wimson's going to come in and kill the Justice League, and then that'll lead into Dark Crisis. So uh, the art on this issue is by Simon Kardansky, Emmanuel Lupacchino, and Wade Von Grobinger. So uh, Lupacchino does some of the pages when she does the pencil work. Von Grobinger inks her, and the majority of the issues – focused on the justice league dark and that's where simon kradansky handles the art uh kradansky colors himself when we get the lupacino pages hi-fi handles the coloring and the letters are by josh reed so um i don't know this felt a little paint by the numbers in terms of the ending here rocky what did you think well first i want to say that i i love the cover that black adam cover and i do i do believe we should both give a shout out to Christopher Priest, it's been formally announced, Christopher Priest, and I can't remember the artist. Do you remember the artist that's working with him? That that was Yes, it's it's Rafa Sandoval. Right. So uh so that that's great. Congratulations to Christopher Priest. I'm looking forward to that. That was uh that that news is just released. And so to Black Adam fans with the movie coming out, I want to build up some DC spec. You know, let's uh heat up these Black Adam comics on the on the spec market. God forbid Marvel gets all the love. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Christopher Preef and Sandoval and and the and you know, check out the comic book news websites. They give you little teasers if you want to know what it what it might involve. So I just wanted to say that first and foremost. Uh, this cover, I really like this cover. Bang up cover. Black Adam just looks awesome. Now, as for the story, I agree with you. It's a little bit paid by the numbers. Um, this is this is Naomi kind of centric. I. This is uh, kind of a lot of dialogue here. Not a. I mean, it's. I I hate saying typical Bendis because I I'm not I'm not even trying to be critical when I say that. I'm just. Uh, it's just that we get a lot of, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance and a lot of, you know, dialogue's better. Uh, but at the end of the day, we get Naomi that defeats Xanadoth. And the reason why Naomi defeats Xanadoth is Xanadoth, through various points throughout this entire issue, through multiple dialogue exchanges that don't really move the narrative, quite frankly, <laughs> is eventually it's discovered that Naomi has the her, uh, her the energy that Naomi uses 
and this was not revealed, this was revealed for the first time that I'm aware of, Naomi's power set, her energy that she uses, enhances magic. So for someone like Superman, who is impaired by magic, Naomi's power set, Naomi's energy can actually enhance and heighten magic. And so because of that, very conveniently and interesting, I think that's an interesting thing. I'm not really, I don't, we don't know much more about Naomi's power set other than that. We know she's from another another world, another quasi-multiverse dimension of some kind. And we know that because Xanadoth is this Lord of Chaos, or that was this unknown Lord of Chaos that's coming back that can destroy the world, uh, with Naomi enhancing the power of Dr. Fate and Zatanna and all the magical all the powerful, magical-bearing heroes of the Justice League and Justice League Dark, I mean, that's how they defeat Xanadoth. And so it's its very sort of, um, kind of, it's kind of, it it feels a little bit Duke Ek Machina, although it isn't. It's not. It's, it's, it's explained. But then it's one of those things where we never really knew anything about Naomi. And, and then it feels like, oh, guess what? Naomi can enhance magic. And like, <laughs> oh, well, that's good to know. And Naomi, and then of course, Naomi is, Naomi is always played, and I know she's young, but she's always played as, oh, oh I can do that. Oh, I'm new. I'm new. And like, it's just like, she's, a, <laughs> it's like, at, at some point, I want Naomi to maybe accept the fact that she's got superpowers. And, you know, at some point, I mean, she she's coming across at times like a little bit like an airhead, like maybe kind of accept it already. I mean, and then at the end, I suppose in fairness to Bendis, uh, we, we did from, we, we reviewed Naomi volume two, issue one, and only three weeks have passed since she got her powers. And so presumably this issue came before Naomi volume two, issue one. So maybe she, if she's only three weeks into her power set, I should be more forgiving when, when she comes, when she is always saying, I'm new here, I'm new here. She says it with Justice League versus uh, Legion of Superheroes as well. I mean, it's getting a little bit tiresome already. However, so be it. But it's it's uh, this is a nice buildup leading into. Um, well, no, frankly, this is this is a Naomi issue. This is giving us for Naomi fans. We're getting more clues about Naomi, and so if you're a Naomi fan, I would strongly recommend Justice League seventy four because, frankly, it's written by the same person or a co-writer of Naomi uh, Bendis, and this does give you more information about Naomi, and I think. And and frankly, it's this is a speculator alert as well. This would be the first time that Naomi's power set of enhancing uh, magical powers is revealed. So it might even be something on the speculator market. Uh, again, I always chuckle when I inside of my head when I say something speculator alert for a DC comic because nobody cares about DC spec. <laughs> when you because I watch spec channels all the time because I'm also a speculator, but. Uh, I'm alone in the wilderness because nobody cares about DC Comics on the spec market. It's all MCU and Marvel, Marvel, Marvel. It's like Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. But anyways, um, so yeah, guys, spec on Naomi. Why not? Have some fun. And yeah, uh, even Batman gives Naomi some props here at the end, which isn't surprising. Um, but I'm just, um, I'm I'm kind of glad it's over. I, I, is it, is it? Does it sound weird to say I'm looking forward to the Justice League dying? <laughs> Next issue. <laughs> I don't. I mean that in the nicest way. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, get get some excitement. I mean, it's not just that Williamson's killing the Justice League, but uh. <laughs> it, it's not like you know the new generation is picking up the 
pieces and saying, okay, we'll form a new Justice League. Yeah. Or we're getting some Justice League Detroit. Like when when these Justice League members die, there is no Justice League. Yeah. And and you know, that's that's next month. That's April that Justice League seventy five comes out and they die. And then we have no Justice League in May and then June, um, Dark Crisis starts and there's yeah. no Justice League all throughout that event. So yeah, it's um you're right, this is a very Naomi centric issue. <laughs> Um, it's been somewhat of a Naomi centric story arc, which is fine. Um, I, I was really taken aback when Batman's like, Oh, you know, this all happened and it, it all happened within a week. I'm like, Oh, okay. So like the last, basically the entire run of Brian Michael Bendis on justice league happened in a week, <laughs> six months of, of comics basically. So, okay. You know, comic book time, what are you going to do? That's, that's the way it is. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I thought it was fine. It did wrap it up. It answered the questions that we had. Um, I did sort of wish that the Simon Kurdansky pages weren't colored so dark. I like the art, but it was colored so dark at times. It felt like it was a little hard. Like I get what they were going for, you know, with the whole idea of this war against the Lord of, of, you know, this rogue Lord of chaos, Xanadoth, but it just, uh, it felt so dark. It was kind of hard sometimes to tell what was going on. Um, the other thing that Bendis did was he planted some seeds for Madame Xanadu that I could see him coming back at some point and picking those up. So that was interesting as well. Uh, okay, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, Nightwing number 90, written by Tom Taylor. We have Geraldo Borges on art this time. Adriana Lucas is on colors. Wes Abbott is on letters. Uh, I thought the art was a little cons inconsistent. There are times, like when I first started reading it, I didn't even realize it wasn't Bruno Redondo because uh, the art was really clean. But then later when the action starts, it gets a little more rough and the line weights get a little heavy, which it should go the opposite in my mind. Like line weights should get lighter the more action you have because it provides a fluidity to the art as opposed to a real thick line, which doesn't isn't conducive to showing movement. Um but maybe, you know, maybe that's just the way that, that Borges works, which is fine. I mean, it's not bad art by any stretch of the imagination, but there were times where it did pull me out of the story uh, a little bit. Uh, it heavily focuses on Wally West and Dick Grayson's friendship, which is probably my favorite friendship in the DCU. Uh, even though Dick is not my favorite Robin and Wally's not my favorite Flash, their friendship is is just the best. Um, I, I love with these two guys uh, how much they care about each other and how how much is kind of subtextual uh, with their uh, with their friendship. I love that we're. It feels like we're sort of getting back to this idea of um, of Melinda Zuko being uh, Dick's sister. That's mentioned several times in this issue. Uh, Blockbusters clearly ramping up his. Uh, efforts to take out Dick Grayson uh, when he blows up his apartment building this time. So yeah, uh, I'm loving what, what Tom Taylor's doing. And if the reason Borges had to do the art in this issue was because Bruno Redondo was filling in on Superman, son of Kal-El that we got last week, it's hard for me to complain because the art in that issue was so good. I loved it. So, you know, Bruno Redondo can't, draw everything unfortunately i'd love it if he could i'd love it if bruno Ronaldo could draw superman son of kal-el every month and nightwing every month but you know the guy's gotta sleep sometime uh but yeah this was a fun issue you know 
typical strong Tom, Tom Taylor scripting and uh, love that we're sort of leaning back into the uh, a lot of the ideas that we got from Taylor on the first arc in terms of Blockbuster being the main antagonist for the series and um, and learning about uh, Dick's heretofore unknown sister. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait to find out more about Melinda Zuko. So what'd you think, Rocky? Yeah. I can actually say that this issue had gorgeous art. <laughs> I just, I just, wow. this is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, God, uh, anyways, I'm not even, I'm not even drinking. Can you believe that? Uh, but in any event, uh, yeah, this, uh, great art, good story again. This is, this is definitely, um, um, I like this. Tom Taylor is definitely, he's, He's so much fan service. It's almost too much fan service sometimes. But uh, sometimes he 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 often does fan service at the expense of applauding plot. It 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 moves along at a snail's pace. But this actually, this is actually I wish I wish when he does the character work like he does in this issue, I wish the plot would move as fast as it does in this issue because it finally moves. It actually moves a little bit faster than it often does. It's not just conversations. It's actually Wally and Dick. I mean, you know, I mean. All these characters are so perfect. I love the fact that, I mean, uh, Blockbuster actually doesn't know that Barbara Gordon is Batgirl and, and actually kidnaps Barbara Gordon. And I love, it's so awesome that, you know, Barbara Gordon actually contacts, you know, Dick Grayson and, and Dick and uh, Wally while she's in trapped in the van. And she says, oh, don't worry about me. I've already picked the lock. I can leave. But, you know, you might want to. Come come over here and see see who see who actually wants Dick Grayson dead. And so they switch places, and of course they find out that it's uh, they find out that it's KG Beast, who of course is responsible. In, in Tom King's run, he actually shot uh, uh, Dick Grayson in the head and made him Rick Grayson. And uh, uh, yeah, so there's you know there's probably I'm I'm not sure, but I think this is the first time that Nightwing will have, will face KG Beast following him being shot in the head, but maybe I stand to be corrected on that. I, no, he, he, in the Jan, Dan, so Dan Jurgens was writing Nightwing when that happened. Right. And he's, he, Dan Jurgens was the one that wrote all that, um, oh, that's Rick right. Grayson stuff. Yeah. And in, yeah, in the last issue before Nightwing crossed over with Joke, uh, Joker War, yeah. Dick faced KG Beast uh, again and sort of after he got his memories back. Uh, I, I actually, it might have been during Joker War. Could be. So, yeah, uh, this is, I, yeah. But but that was that went really fast because of Joker War, so I'm sure that this confrontation will be better fleshed out with more emotion com coming from Tom Taylor. But uh, I I I quite I like the interaction between Jay and Irie, like Wally's kids and Nightwing. That's that was yep. that was just great. If I if I didn't know better, I would have thought it was it was uh, scripted by Jeremy Adams. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I enjoyed this. This is you know this. This basically has it all again because, you know, look, if it sounds like I'm complaining about Tom Taylor and I say, well, you know, we got too much fan service there. Look, believe me, I'm, I'm happy. I give me some fan, you know, if it's the, the story is good. If the story's at a snail pace and I got to put up with some great character work, believe me, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'll, fine, I'll take it. Uh, every now and then, I, I think sometimes it's, I get too much of a good thing. It, I, I got what I asked for. I got great character work. 
And then lo and behold, I want I want the plot to move a little faster. Then I want the plot, <laughs> then I want more character work, and then the plot slows down. So, you know, look, uh, this is why we can't have nice things. You know, you gotta, I gotta, you know, Tom Taylor, he 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 comes and uh, you know comes and goes, and you know you, I don't. Anyways, I'm enjoying this, and you know he's Tom Taylor. There's a reason why DC signed him up between Nightwing and Superman Son of kal these are the titles that I think a lot of people are looking looking at and uh, uh, and and rightly so because it's entertaining and you, you can't say that that Tom Taylor doesn't know these characters and it shows it, it's 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 really good I would love to see I would love to see uh, a, a team up uh, an annual team up between Nightwing and uh, flash I hope this is something that they continue to do and I hope Jeremy Adams has Nightwing over in flash at some point. Yeah, I'm ready for my Tom Taylor regular. Although, don't get me wrong, I'm sure Chip Zdarsky is going to do a great job. Um, so maybe, I, yeah, maybe not Tom Taylor on Batman, but let, can I have my Tom Taylor on Superman, but like Clark Kent, Kal-El Superman? Yeah. And I also need my Tom Tom Taylor Green Lantern book. And yeah, can he just write the whole DCU? Yeah, yeah. he's 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 killing it right now, hundred yeah. percent. Uh, okay, up next we have uh, Teen Titans. Uh, or sorry, we have Titans United, number seven. This is from writer Kevin Scott, Jose Luis, and Daniel HDR on pencils, Jonas Trinidad and Daniel HDR on inks, Rex Locus on colors, Carlos M. Mangual on letters. Um, so we really, really have been enjoying this uh, this Titans United book. It's been it's been absolutely fantastic, both art-wise and narrative. Uh, that being said, the fact that it's not just Jose Luis on art for this last issue, I did feel like this was one of the weaker issues uh, art-wise. Um, not throughout, but at moments, it wasn't quite as uh, detailed or as dynamic as it's as it's been uh, in some of the past issues. Uh, narratively, tons of action. Uh, I I expressed some reservations after the last issue that we find out that the Citadel has sent this invasion fleet. And I'm like, really? You wait until the last page of the next to last issue to give us that? Like, how are they, how are they going to wrap this up? Like how's Kevin Scott going to be able to wrap this up in one issue, but he does a really, really good job of doing it because it's interesting from a, from a structure standpoint, what he does, it, it shows that the Titans are, are the important part of the story. Like the Citadel, could in a lot of ways be any sort of threat. Um, it's not like they, you know, figure out a way to, to specifically defeat the Citadel, but rather what they do is they rely on the capabilities of each other um, to solve the problem that's, you know, put in front of them. And it just coincidentally, the problem happens to be the Citadel, but really it didn't, it didn't matter. What was showcased here was their teamwork, their ability to work together and, um, and their their uh, their strength is in that teamwork. Uh, so I, I thought, much like the, this whole entire series, the final issue here showcases what's best about the Titans, which is you know they're friends and they have each other's back. So and and they are was for the most part really really great. So uh, what did you think, Rocky? Did it <clears throat> yeah. did it end satisfyingly for you? It, it really did. And and one of the things that I that I really liked, if if I was um, if I was 
I'm usually a big guy on continuity. Like I like continuity. And, and one of the questions I guess I could have is, well, where the hell is the Justice League? Where the hell is Superman and the rest of them? And you know what? I don't care that the rest of the DC universe isn't, because this is a Titans United. This is a Titans book. And I'm enjoying the hell out of this. I enjoyed every, everything about this. I, I love the, uh, Kevin Scott absolutely nails the characterization, especially of Starfire and Blackfire, which to me actually in many ways sort of, forms the, the the heart and soul of this story in so many ways and uh jose uh, louis on uh, louis on the art just fantastic i mean there's a double page spread here just incredible uh, uh you know of the titans out in space taking on the citadel kicking ass and taking names this is uh this is really good the citadel underestimating earth blackfire of course her true motivations reveal that she wanted to create essentially a sort of like a a second outpost or a base in order to distract the citadel because she knew that the home world of tamaran wouldn't be able to survive another attack so she wanted to give the impression that earth was part of the, the part of the the uh the the fleet or part of the ally of, of uh, Tamaran. And so uh, the politics made sense. I mean, the plot made sense. It wasn't, it, it, it possessed a lot of verisimilitude. There's that wonderful word again. And it's important because it makes for a good story. Kevin Scott knows what he's doing. He knows these characters. He knows the story. The art's fantastic. Um, and, it, and this has just been one big adrenaline rush from beginning to end and he knows these characters. You could finish this series, go back and read uh, read the classic Marv Wolfman, uh, George Perez run, uh, and you, you'd fit right in. And he managed to throw in new characters like uh, Connor and, and 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 Red Hood. I mean, come on, this is uh, this is very well done, very well done. Love the uh, love the ending, love the <laughs> love love the character work. This is you know juxtapose this against alongside Teen Titans Academy this is what this is what should be 13 14 15 issues long uh give us more of this Titans United DC sign Kevin Scott to an exclusive and give him his own Titans United comic book because this is this is usually one of the best like this is probably one of the best reads of the week this week in my opinion I I I I I love this. This was really good. There's another one that I really like that we're going to be getting to, but I, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think Kevin Scott would take an exclusive at DC. So uh, <laughs> for those that don't know, he, he, he uh, writes a lot of star Wars books over at, um, at Marvel and he's a huge star Wars guy. So yeah, uh, I don't think he'd give up star Wars, but uh, I can't I blame him. Would be, I would be happy. I would be happy to see that. Uh, yeah, and he's going to be on the show later this month, I should mention. Right on. Uh, okay, up next we have Robin's number five, Bean Robin. Tim Seeley's the writer. Baldemar Rivas is the artist. Ramula Fajardo on Jr. on colors. Steve Wands on letters. Uh, yeah, this is <laughs> this is interesting. The pieces are starting to come together for Robin's. We're getting uh, some more clues, which makes sense because this is issue five of six. There's only one issue to, to go. So what are your thoughts here, Rocky? Uh, honestly, I, I hate to say this, but I, I never read much of this issue. I, I, I'm i sorry, man. I just had uh, too busy a week and there was this one and another comic, which you fortunately did all the wonderful uh, commentary on that uh, uh, you're going to have to do the talking on this one. I, I, I didn't, I didn't give it, I, I didn't read it. Frankly, gotcha. I didn't read it. Uh, yeah, so t Tim Seeley, when he was on uh, last week, him and I talked about this uh, and specifically the line in here that if you listen to that 
episode and you're wondering what line I was referring to, uh, and Tim referenced it as well, um, it's this line that talks about how the, the, the relationship between Robins and Batmans goes both ways, right? And in this issue, we get Dick Grayson saying, we all fell. We aren't just there to catch Batman before he falls. He catches us. And that's really, at the end of the day, what this series is all about, right? Like, it started off with this idea that, hey, are Robins better off? Would they? Would the people who have become Robins, would they have been better off if they never became Robins at all, right? And that's what this uh, initial Robin, this Jenny Wren, uh, that's her uh, her position, right? And, and how she's trying to, in a way, turn all the, the former Robins against Batman, kind of pushing that agenda that, hey, all the trauma they've been through, Batman putting kids at risk, which is something Tim Silly talked about in our interview that he's always kind of struggled with. Part of the reason he wrote this story. Um, but at the end of the day, what we're seeing here is the connections between each of the Robins who have their own unique relationship with Bruce Wayne and their connections to each other are really what's important. So th that idea that, hey, we aren't just here to catch Batman and to be sure that he doesn't go too dark, which a lot of people have speculated that's the purpose of, of Robins over the years. But it goes the other way too, right? Batman is there to protect his his Robins. So uh, it, it really interesting. We saw uh, last issue that this um, this Jenny Red had uh, Ren had hacked into the Bat computer and had taken all the files that Batman had for each of the individual Robins gauntlets, which is kind of like their final challenge that they had to complete before they could become Robin. And in a way she weaponized that she turned it into like augmented reality or, or virtual reality. And when this issue starts, we see that the Robins are sort of trapped in the, the sort of these fantasy worlds, right? Like here's supposedly <clears throat> who Bruce thinks that they might've become had they not become Robins. Uh, that's at least that's the speculation or that's what Jenny Wren wants them to. Cause supposedly she gained all this knowledge from, or all this information from the back computer. So we see Damien Wayne and he's uh, living as a monk and trying to find inner peace, you know, being the grandson of Ra's al Ghul and trained as an assassin. We see um, Stephanie Brown and she's the, the leader of the teen Titans. We see, um, Jason Todd, and he's this he's this race car driver who's uh, driving around and winning races so he can turn around and give the money to uh, a charity that he started in the name of his mother, the Catherine Todd Recovery Center. And uh, Dick Grayson, this is the one that's most intriguing to me, is an agent of Spiral. You know, that whole Grayson series that Tim Seeley and Tom King wrote, which is uh, some people either – apparently from what Tim told me, people either really, really love it. I think it's like their favorite Dick Grayson thing ever. That's kind of where I'm at. Or they absolutely hate it, Dick Grayson as this super spy. But what's so interesting is in the beginning or in, in kind of the middle – beginning to middle part of the issue, we see all these different roles that, again, supposedly Bruce Wayne thinks this is how these characters' lives would have played out had they not become the Robins. But in the end, it all goes bad for all of them. Like uh, – Damien can't find peace and he ends up going back and becoming an, uh, an assassin. Um, Dick Grayson becomes, uh, his mind becomes corrupted by the hypnos implants that, uh, that the spiral uses and, and he kind of becomes a vegetable. 
Jason Todd can no longer win races as he gets older and his skills start to diminish and he, and he goes back to stealing cars and ends up in jail. And uh, Stephanie Brown uh, ends up uh, not necessarily betraying, but she, she, her leadership style causes a rift between the Justice League and the Teen Titans. And then uh, the, the Titans stop trusting her. So she kind of loses her, her spot as the, the leader of the, the Titans. So the, each of these characters kind of lose what's most important to them. You know, we know Stephanie Brown really always wants to be respected as a hero. Damien wants to, to find peace with his past. Obviously Dick Grayson is, uh, you know, as, as the first Robin, his whole idea is, am I good enough intellectually to, you know, to be a great detective like Batman, he becomes a vegetable. Jason Todd goes back to a life of crime. So yeah, the really fascinating ideas that Tim Seeley has given us here in this this Robin series, and I feel like a lot of it's flying under the radar because um, I don't know that that many people are paying attention. Everybody voted for it because it was Robins. It was like the Batman property in this red uh, round Robin thing that they set up. But then when it wasn't just the, a bunch of Robins hanging out in this kind of fun, lighthearted superhero story, when it actually had some interesting themes and whatnot – Everybody just seemed to like forget about it. So uh, it, it's been way better than I thought. I mean, I I wasn't necessarily – I wouldn't go so far as to say upset. I was disappointed that it won. It was like the one I would have pointed to on the list that I wanted the least almost. Like it was definitely bottom three. Um, but again, showing the, the talent of Tim Seeley, um, he's done something so subversive with this idea of, hey, what does it mean to be a Robin – are these characters better off for having been Robins? Uh, and yeah, I just keep going back to that line, you know, from Dick Grayson. Uh, we aren't just there to catch Batman before he falls. He catches us. Um, and, you know, that's all proven out by supposedly what would have happened to these characters had they not become Robins. Their lives all would have ended pretty, pretty tragically. So uh, the Baltimore Rivas art is tone perfect for the story that um, that Celie's telling. Uh, it's a little animated style. It's a little cartoony, uh, but it keeps it from getting too dark. And uh, I think the color work uh, also does uh, does that as well from Romulo Fajardo Jr., who's a very talented color artist. So it makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, I do recommend this. It's, it's totally exceeding my expectations. So, uh, all right, let's go ahead and move on. Next book we're going to talk about this is going to be a big one this week. A lot of people are picking it up, a bunch of different covers. Uh, it's Batman, Superman, World's Finest. Mark Wade, with his return to DC on a regular title, uh, he did write a couple of uh, stories in some recent anthologies. But here he is, monthly ongoing, uh, chapter one, Doomed, uh, written by Mark Wade. Dan Mora is the artist. Tamara Bonvillon on colors. Aditya Bidikar handles the letters. Um, and this is uh, oversized. I think we had 36 pages of story. So um, what do you think of this, Rocky? Well, you know, look, I, I'm I love Mark Wade, and I I wanted when he came, when rumors or have have it that were floating around that he might come back to DC. I was hoping that he'd write Superman. I I still want him to write Superman. Uh, and I and I think I I think this world's finest issue number one just proves my point. I I love this. I mean, he he understands Superman. He understands Batman, and I I like I like he's his his cho the choices that he makes in this issue. Mark Wade. You know, he very intentionally uh, chooses to to ground this story with sort of like the you know it's Batman and Robin, it's Batman, it's Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson, 
with uh, with you know having an adventure in Metropolis, Poison Ivy, Metallo, and uh, he nails the characters of you know Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen. This is the clearly in the day and age where Lois doesn't know Clark's uh, Clark Kent is Superman. This is a uh, this is a classic Superman story. That's what. That's what it feels like to me. And even though obviously this is world's finest, Batman and Robin in it as well. But he also understands that Batman and Rob, Batman and Robin, they're friends with Superman and, and, and the camaraderie and the friendship. And this, this just, this feels right. This just feels right to me. This is really good writing. This is exactly, I mean, uh, you know, thank you, Mark Wade. I don't. I know that. I know that he's a as a as a human being. You know, as a personality, he's he's had his ups and downs on media, and he's made. He, sometimes he makes the news for. In the past, he's made the news for all the wrong reasons. But I don't care. I want. I'm talking about Mark Wade, the writer. Mark Wade, the man who loves Superman. Nobody. Mark Wade has forgotten more about Superman than I'll ever know. And I've been reading Superman for 43 years. Okay, the guy's just the guy's just an encyclopedic knowledge of Superman, and I always love listening to interviews of Mark Wade when he's just talking Superman because I always learn something that I, did, that I didn't know before. And this is this is just you know uh, just fantastic, and and the art, I mean, uh, good lord, who's the uh, uh, yeah Dan Mora? Thank you, good lord, great art. Uh, I love po- I love Poison Ivy here. Uh, I. The, the way that the way that uh, Superman and Bat uh, Superman uh, comes to the aid of Batman and Robin, and then Batman and Robin trying to come to the aid of Superman as they're as they're bad because he's all of a sudden Metallo shows up, and of course somebody behind there's somebody behind the scenes that's causing all the havoc that ultimately shows up at the end, and this we uh, ultimately we know that the Doom Patrol is gonna you know is is going to get involved and i love you know it's funny like the doom patrol i remember the doom patrol back in the day they were like they were like dc's version of the x-men but they weren't as popular and but they're they're so weird and of course i mean we got i in fact the tv show is probably more popular than the comic book ever was quite frankly but i I love it he's he's he all these eclectic array of characters from dc lore and he's having fun he's having fun with it and uh, like I said, I, I, I don't want to ruin anything, but I think if you're a Superman fan, anybody who's anybody, please, please, I, I don't want somebody not to pick this up just because Mark Wade wrote it. I know there's a business a narrative out there. Just put that aside and just, just read this. This is a great Superman story as far as I'm concerned. And it happens to have Batman and Robin in it and a whole slew of really cool villains and it's kick-ass and it's all in one issue and there's more to come. So what do you think? Well, I, I mean, I, I don't even necessarily think there's much controversy about Mark Wade. Like I, I know that there, you know, some people are like, Oh, he, he supposedly got a book blackballed. That's not actually true. And if you yeah. go and see that the fact that the court case got thrown out, <laughs> I mean, a judge agreed. Yeah. So, no, I, mean, I, I I agree with you. I'm just saying it's just, it's a, it's a, it just bothers me. It's unfortunate because he's one of my favorite writers. And he always has been, and I don't like you know. I I just well, don't like I think the people. only people that the only people that still think that he did something wrong are people that don't 
buy these books anyway. So I don't, I don't think we need to, we need to, to give it any, any lip service, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you. He should be writing Superman, you know, as much as we're enjoying what Philip Kenny Johnson's doing, it's, it's past time for Mark way to be, be writing Superman. Um, if I have any complaints about the book, like why? And again, I, I, I understand the economics of it. You know, this is called bat Batman Superman. So back in the day, when the first Batman Superman book came out, it wasn't even called Batman Superman. It was called Superman Batman, right? Superman was first. And that was back in the, the 2000s, the Ed McGinnis, and then um, uh, Michael Turner illustrated book. Uh, and then when it came back later in the New 52, yeah, Batman got first billing because then it's going to be on the rack in the store next to the Batman books. Uh, and same thing here. It's Batman, Superman, World's Finest. Now, the World's Finest that Rocky and I grew up reading was just called World's Finest. It didn't have Superman in the title. It didn't have Batman in the title. And it was just World's Finest. And it was it was great. And, you know, previous to them being in it, it was kind of an, an anthology series at, uh, at times. And this does have a little bit of a, an anthology feel. It, it feels very classic World's Finest because – it's not just Batman and Superman teaming up. As Rocky said, you get the Doom Patrol. It's a big story. The fact that Superman gets injected with red kryptonite and his body is constantly shifting and changing. And it's a big story. Superman's powers are out of control. Uh, he's causing damage. He's he's more than two non-superpowered heroes, such as Batman and Robin, can handle. So great to see the Doom Patrol show up. Fantastic art, like you said, from Dan Mora. Uh, I can't wait to see where this goes. And yeah, I, like you said, I, Mark Wade gets Superman. He knows who he is even more so than he does Batman. Uh, although I think his scripting on Batman, his characterization for Batman is done very, very well. And I really, really like his, his Robin. <laughs> yeah. He gives him a, a real lighthearted <laughs> feel. So yeah, this is fantastic. Um, I can't you know, I can't. I, I've already read it. I can't wait to, to hold it in my hands. I ordered the um, the Jerry Seinfeld. I'm actually a pretty big Seinfeld fan. I ordered a Jer the Jerry Seinfeld cover. So <laughs> for those that aren't familiar, Jerry Seinfeld used to have this show. I think it eventually ended up on Netflix called Comedian in Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, where he'd go and have an exotic car, whether it was loaned to him or he owned it or whatever, and he'd go pick up another comedian, and they would drive somewhere to get coffee or breakfast or a muffin or whatever, and they would talk on the way. Uh, like an interview style show. And so for this, he's driving uh, Superman and Batman and he's driving the Batmobile from the 1966 Batman TV show. So it, I mean, I couldn't, there it is right there. I couldn't not, I mean, how do you, how do you not buy that cover? Like that's yeah. absolutely fantastic. So that's awesome. yeah, I expect this to be a big hit. Uh, I don't know that it'll ever be yeah. worth a ton of money because it's going to sell. I, I would be really surprised if this isn't the number one selling book for, yeah. for the month of March. And, and Seinfeld always had that statue of Superman behind. Yeah. Seinfeld's a big, yeah. yeah. He's Jerry Seinfeld's a huge Superman fan as well. So yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. One more book to talk about uh, on the spotlight. It's wonder woman evolution. We're up to issue number five from writer, Stephanie Phillips, Mike Hawthorne, handles the pencils adriano d benedetto on inks jordi belair on colors tom napolitano on letters 
so this is interesting. It starts off and we get a picture of these scientists who are in this like futuristic, very clean computerized environment. Um, and they're talking about releasing the initiating the Titan. The implication here is that everything that's going on in Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman's head, as far as this trial and whatnot, uh, everything she's experiencing, like, we weren't sure these people, these beings seem powerful. They grabbed her on earth, but they've seemed to be able to like manifest illusions or you know, she's seen a lot of things that maybe are not reality. Maybe they're real. Maybe they're not. We're not sure. She's trying to stand up for humanity. She had to fight the justice league at the end of last issue uh, because the justice league were ready to sacrifice a few lives to save all the lives of earth or, or one life. I should say mm-hmm. this one alien who's uh, labeled a traitor, but sees herself as the leader of a rebellion. And, you know, she's a political prisoner on earth and they want her turned over. And, and, you know, the aliens are coming to earth saying, if you don't turn her over. We're going to attack your whole planet. Wonder woman was on, you know, the side of the, the one as opposed to the side of the many. Um, but all of that, all of it, the whole entire story and what's going on is all thrown into question. None of it may be real. It may all be some sort of computerized simulation. And obviously what we don't know is, is, is she captured? Why is this happening? Uh, but as sort of a, a clue at the end or an event at the end to kind of I mean, really make sure that people are catching that um, sort of part of the story Donna Troy shows up a very different looking Donna Troy with like this uh, buzz cut. And she says, uh, when Diana says, I, I can fight them. Uh, Donna, Tr- Donna Troy says, no, you can't because none of this is real. So is, is this Donna Troy finding a way to, to sneak into the simulation? Is it Diana's own mind that's trying to wake her up from the, the simulation? Um, is this just another trick? where uh, this is part of whatever the Titan program is that's been initiated. No idea on any of that, uh, but very interesting and intriguing. And again, as I've said throughout the art by Mike Hawthorne, Wonder Woman has never looked so buff and so dangerous uh, than she has in this in this series. So I'm still enjoying it. Um, it's definitely picked up. Started off a little slow, but it's definitely picked up the last couple issues. What are your thoughts, Rocky? Well, I... I wish, you know, you you said that it's interesting, and I it is interesting. I just wish it was a little bit more interesting, and I, it's, it's just so odd to me because that really, I mean, it really threw me for a loop when like the the opening sequence, that opening sequence with that with that lab and there's Project Titan and and. It almost reminded me of that one horror show. I can't remember what the name of it is. The Cabin, where it's like the the cabin is nothing but a construct by a bunch of scientists and guys in labs, you know, and they're all, all the horrors that in, are inflicted upon the, the these kids that are trapped in the cabin. It's all it's all one giant charade, and it's it's all you know, it's on it's on it's all just in like a laboratory almost. And they, these kids are just sort of like an experiment and, and all these horror things show up and it's all part of these, these guys in lab coats are just making them go through hell and they're making bets on who's going to win. And, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, here we got a couple of uh, scientists here, you know, are they, are they putting wonder woman? 
are we even talking about gods? Maybe there aren't even gods. Are these gods just like like machines and these couple scientists are putting Wonder Woman through the ringer? Like it just seems like a, a massive amount of potential misdirection that's gone on here. So now if it isn't misdirection or if it is misdirection, uh, dare I say it hasn't really pulled me in. Like it's not a misdirection where I'm going, wow, this is cool. Because it's, it's like... Okay, well, Donna Troy shows up in the end and says, well, none of this is real. Well, to be honest with you, I've kind of concluded that none of it's real almost from the second issue. So I, I don't, Donna, I don't think, does Wonder Woman really need to be told that none of this is real? I mean, I don't know, it just seems odd to me. Silver Swan got killed in the second issue or hurt, and then she ended up being really hurt. And then, then Wonder Woman was in Nuremberg, and then she was fighting the Justice League, and now she's fighting her own Amazons, and her own Amazons want to put her to death. Well, you know, that's not real. I mean, obviously that's not real. Um, so I don't I don't know where this is going. Like, the, you know, the central narrative about humanity judging, you know, you know gods judging humanity, that's kind of been, well, it's been touched upon. And some really interesting potential plot points here. I really love the the Nuremberg idea, the fighting the Justice League with the dilemma that you mentioned with the one woman from another alien race. So really, Stephanie uh, Phillips has done a good job touching upon these themes that are very interesting, but then but then pulls away because it's not real, and then puts and it's like no, I want to stay, I want to see how that resolves because that's so interesting. But she pulls us. Pulls Wonder Woman out of the scene and then throws her in another one and then pulls her out of that too. So, I, I, I know that Stephanie Phillips has, I obviously has. She's taken us in a direction here, but I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like where it lands. But, but I am intrigued. But I'm a little frustrated. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit frustrated. I'm, it's, it's sort of like you're handing me candy and then you pull it away at the last minute. It's like, ah, you know. But anyways, I'm I'm definitely curious to see how this is going to end. I really hope the landing sticks because we gotta, you know, we got we do have three issues left, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, fair fair enough. Uh, okay, a few other books are out today that we. Um, that we didn't talk about. So let me give you a, a rundown on those. And then I'll, I'll talk about some of the trades as well. So Looney Tunes number 265 is out. DC Horror Presents Soul Plumber number six is also out. And then Refrigerator Full of Heads number five. Those are out uh, on stands as well. And then uh, we have the JLA Avengers Hero Initiative Edition. Uh, I don't know where you've been. If you haven't heard about this, there are only 7,000 copies made. They probably could have sold I don't know, maybe 10 times that amount. I don't think it's out of the question. I think they could have sold 70,000 of these. They've been going online on eBay for like 200, 250 bucks. Uh, unfortunately, with the pandemic and, you know, it's Marvel and DC. So there's a lot of legal stuff to jump through with the pandemic um, and the uh, paper shortages and trying to get a book like this with all the logistics printed. They had to put a cap on it of only 7,000. And a lot of people were disappointed. It is to raise money for the Hero Initiative, which is the uh, charity that George Perez helped found, which raises money to help out comic creators in need. They could have raised a lot more. What a lot of shops are doing is they're raffling them off or they're uh, putting them on eBay and all the profits go to Hero Initiative to try to raise more money because it is a $29.99 cover price. I tried to order one. I'm probably not even get my hands on one. But if you can get your hands on one, I would encourage you to – Make sure that you're not just 
paying $200 and it's some greedy shop owner who's pocketing that money, but the money's going to the Hero Initiative. So that's out uh, today or uh, the 16th, actually. Um, so tomorrow. Uh, there's also Batman Volume 5, Fear State hardcover. So that obviously collects Fear State from James Tynan's run. We have The Absolute Swamp Thing by Alan Moore, Volume 3 hardcover. Superman Batman Omnibus Volume 2, which uh, collects a lot of the, the run of the most recently concluded. Um, or not, sorry, not the most recently concluded, but that Superman Batman that I was talking about from the, the early 2000s. Uh, also, The Batman's Grave, the complete collection. That's the Kurt uh, Busiek Batman um, story. And then there's also Batman Arkham Penguin trade paperback. So that or sorry, Batman's Grave is Warren Ellis, not Kurt Busiek. Um, yeah. But yeah, the 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 Penguin uh, Arkham trade paperback. I'm not sure why they threw Arkham in there. I mean, there are there is one story where in there where he's in Arkham, but it reprints his first ever appearance and then some of his greatest stories. Uh, in my mind, the whole reason that um, that Penguin collection is coming out is because the Penguin's in the Batman movie that's in theaters right now. So that's got to be the reason that they decided to uh, to print it. So. Uh, that's going to do it. That's all the, the DC stuff that's out there this week. Hope you uh, enjoyed it. Hope you get a chance to check out some of the great issues that we talked about. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I thought that the, um, the world's finest was, was done really, really well. Um, but I, I think if I had to give my nod to like a favorite DC book of the week, I think I got to give it to, uh, to Nightwing. I just, I loved that uh, portrayal of the friendship b- between Wally West and Dick Grayson. Uh, you mentioned there was a couple that you really like, Rocky. So yeah. what, what, well, what gets your name? Certainly the, the three that I really like are World's Finest, Titans United, and Nightwing. Uh, they were all really good. And it's like, honestly, it's like choosing between three flavors of ice cream. I mean, uh, look, I love vanilla. I love chocolate. I love Napoleon. I mean, come on. What's not to love? I mean, they're all good. It's depending on what mood you're in. I mean, but they're excellent. It just, it's just like reading the, this, a wonderful nostalgic feeling of comics of old, feeling new and vibrant and fresh and nostalgic all at the same time. World's Finest, Titans United, Nightwing, just, just wonderful comics. Just, it's, it's really good. And, 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 I mean, in fairness too, I mean, I've, the, the other ones, uh, uh, you know, my apologies to Tim, Tim Seeley. I should have read Robin's five, <laughs> but, uh, I just, uh, unfortunately I couldn't quite, uh, read them all, but no, again, I, I think DC, DC deserves more love they got some good comics here and I don't know what the hell's going on, on with the sales woes, but bloody hell. I hope, I wish they'd reveal the sales data a little bit because I think that DC sales should be higher than than what the the top fifty would suggest, but I guess I'm an outlier. But I guess you know, so be it. Yeah, I always wonder. I always wonder about the sales because we don't get any sales numbers. And I I hear whenever I talk to somebody over at DC, they tell me the sales are you know really 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 great. But I mean, they they can only go by what their higher ups are telling them. You know, maybe they're I don't know. I don't know. Whenever you look at anything on. Um, like Amazon, and I know that's not a great metric, but what else do we have to judge DC? But on you know Wednesday, if yeah. you look at what the best-selling titles of the week are, uh, and again these are digital, uh, but oftentimes it's you know Superman, Son of Kal El, or Batman, or whatever. It's like DC's beating Marvel um, consistently on there, but maybe it's not a good representation. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but either way, 
uh, excited for uh, what the future of DC holds. And on that note, uh, in addition to the spotlight on War for Earth 3 and Trial of the Amazons, so we can cover all the DC books that came out this week, there also will be uh, an episode released today, audio only, with uh, Joshua Williamson. Uh, I got a chance to chat with Josh about uh, dark, the upcoming Dark Crisis. We talked about Shadow War. We talked about his recent Batman run. We talked about Robin. We talked about Deathstroke. Uh, yeah, we talked about it all. We talked about the fact that he was uh, about to leave. You know, he had one almost had one foot out the door at DC. He was going to finish his Flash run and then and leave because he just didn't feel like there was really much for him there in the 5G era. And then obviously we know that all got kind of flipped on its head and <laughs> then Didio left and yeah, now I don't. I would say there's not a writer that's more important to DC Comics right now than Joshua Williamson. So, yeah. uh, encourage you guys to all go check out that uh, conversation. And kind of on the, going on the other side of the street, talking Marvel. Uh, I recently had a chance to chat with Kelly Thompson, one of my favorite writers, best writer of the year, year for 2022. Yeah. She was my pick, uh, and she's absolutely killing it on Black Widow and Captain Marvel. Yeah, and on her Substack. Yeah. yeah, I'm just fantastic. So I got a chance to chat with her. Uh, that episode went up yesterday on Monday. So I encourage you to go check out that as well. And yeah, a couple more big interviews coming for you uh, before the end of the month as well. And then I'll be at WonderCon at the beginning of April. I don't know. Conventions are just coming back. It's hard to say what it's going to be like there. They haven't an hardly announced anything. Um, I think they're still kind of scrambling. Um but yeah, I'll do my best to to bring you guys some some great convention coverage. Well, so, I, I wanna, uh, any episodes you have coming up that you want to mention, Rocky? Well, actually, this weekend uh, I'm, I I fly out to Toronto uh, tomorrow. Uh, I'm meeting uh, Dark Knight Nation Trevor Lankiewicz of uh, Area Fifty One Helix Project. Uh, him and I, I'm going to be him and I are both going to be at the Toronto Comic Con uh, this coming weekend, March 18th to the 20th, and uh, we intend to have a, quite an enjoyable week and. Uh, yeah, we're going to see what it brings and and who knows we might do a couple of impromptu streams from 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 the con, from the con. Maybe not and if we don't it's probably because we're doing something we shouldn't do like probably or drinking too much of what we shouldn't be drinking but uh we intend to have a lot of fun and uh, I was going to tell you that I I fully intend to catch up on uh, there's there's probably uh, there's those two interviews you mentioned that you did with Joshua Williamson and Kelly Thompson I'll be listening to those uh, I'll be downloading those and listening to those on the flight there so I'm looking forward to that and uh, yeah and uh, I'm I'm going to play it by ear so uh, I'm I'm glad we I I'm glad I managed to do all these you know these reviews with you tonight because now i gotta run and pack and get ready to leave tomorrow morning so it's going to be an exciting week all right so if you're going to be at the uh the convention be sure you uh hit up rocky hit up trevor <laughs> um yeah if you're at the toronto comic-con hit them up on social media let them know we always love to uh to meet up with listeners and uh for sure. And meet people in, in person. So uh, anyway, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Appreciate you listening as always. And we'll talk to you next time. See you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter. 
twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.